Welcome to Going Green, our weekly podcast having a look at matters all about sort of, well, trying to make the place a better place to live in. And in this week, we've seen in the news people talking about getting rid of sort of all the coal and the oil and trying to keep it in the ground, sort of keep the sort of increases or decreases now at 3%, even though they're still increasing, and trying to get down these emissions and get them down by 7.6% every year. All right. Do you know how they calculated their uh, 7.6%? Yeah. Because what they needed to do, they worked out they needed to get rid of about 50% in the 2020s. Was of CO2 emissions. Yeah. So let, let's try and make this easier to understand. And uh, I'll try and do a little bit of simple maths for you. Let's suppose we want to get rid of some of our co2 so what a lot of the countries seem to be doing at the moment is to said right okay what we're going to do we're going to get rid of all of this by this date and they haven't done anything yet what they should be looking at is if you're going to reduce your carbon emissions let's get rid of some so let's suppose we got 100 percent, and i decide to get rid of 10 percent at the end of the by this year so at the end of this year, I've now got 90% of my stuff. Now, the next year, if I get rid of another 10%, this time I only get rid of 9%. Because it's 10% of 90 is only 9. Yeah. And so now I've got 91% of my original target. So the next year, I can only get rid of... 10% of 91. Yeah. Well, and you see, so... Each year, it gradually gets more and more difficult to get rid of some of the stuff. I See, I, I understand that sort of concept, obviously, because it gets, you know, the more something gets smaller and smaller, it's harder to, you know, scoop out. You know, think of a ladle, sort of. You're, you're trying to scoop up, but, you know. The first ones are quite first easy, ones are quite but easy. it's harder to get the, when you get down to the dregs. To get that dregs and yeah. that's, that's our basic problem, that, if we want to cut down our emissions by, let's say, 10%, it's not that difficult if you've got quite a few people and firms and companies all together and say, right, we're going to try and reduce some, and they all have a go at doing a little bit, and they reduce it by quite happily 10%. It's then the next year you say, right, now we've got to reduce it, what you've got now, by another 10%. And they go, ooh, that's more difficult, and it's gradually going to get harder and harder to try and get down to net zero. And it isn't a case we need, really need to get down to net zero. We need to be doing better than that. But if, if we've got to try and get down to net zero, then really we've got to start because the sooner you start, the relatively the easier it is because you have to make sort of less change or you make more the same amount of change, but you do it quicker because... We're, well, let's let's take Brexit, for instance. We had Brexit, and people were all talking about what's going to happen, what's going to go on. We're going to have this, that, and the other. We've got all these food shortages, all the, you know, yeah. people. And, yeah. and what really happened was, well, none of the above. And that's one of the problems that we also face with 
this sort of losing our sort of carbon, getting it down to net zero. A lot of people say, oh, we can't do this. Oh, no, look, our coal hired sort of stations are going to do this, that and the other. And we're, we're never going to manage to do that. Except, of course, if you replace them with wind turbines, uh, the problem immediately went away. So it's using different technologies. And talking of different technologies, do you know what happened this week in Iceland, Paul? Well, I actually do, because I was the one who told you. Yeah, I know you did. Okay, so tell everyone what happened in Iceland on... Well, it was the... This week? Is this, this? It was this week, this yeah. Week. Well, the I say the largest, but it's the, the the biggest so far. Carbon capture, I say machine technology. They call it a plant, plant. but yes, I I don't like the word plant because it gives me the idea it's a big tree. Well, in in really in this respect, it really is sort of related to a tree. In regards to what they're doing is basically it, it is, is I say it's a normal carbon capture strategy, but it's it's a little different because of course where they are so basically they suck in air which contains co2 they then release everything else but co2 so now, now the, they've got co2 to me that's the clever bit yeah how do you actually get rid of everything except the co2 well the answer is you put it into a sponge and then you basically bake the sponge off and everything, but you have to be very clever in your um, uh, temperature. You've got to make sure it's just right. And everything bubbles, yeah, I say bubbles off. Everything just uh, uh, gets away. And CO2 doesn't. It's still trapped. And then, so then you take this sponge. And then after you've released all the air and all, not all the air, but everything but the CO2, you then crank up the heat and then the CO2 vanishes. So now you've just got what is known as CO2 um, concentrate, which is, you know, concentrated CO2, funny enough. Yeah. Right? And what do so, you do with that? So they then take that concentrate and they pump it, you know, it's, oh, I know it's there, and they pump it into water. They pour water, well, basically they mix water into it, which is as opposed to putting, um, mixing CO2 water. No, they put water into the CO2. Yeah, um, okay. Slightly different, but makes more sense. They then take this slurry, because you know they now, which they now call it, and they pump it down into um, basalt rock. Yeah. And basically, because of Iceland's conditions, as in its geothermal potential. Uh, the basalt uh, rock layer can, can holds it, but it also heats it up and actually, crisp, I say, boils the water away. It's not quite like boiling the water, but essentially they crystallize the CO2 or mineralize the CO2 into the basalt rock, which is essentially what um, how the... the oils were formed in the first place so it, it's it's as i said going back to the trees this is doing exactly what the trees is just more you know on a more man-made scale as opposed to naturally doing this so they create this basically this this crystallized mineral basalt is this carbon infused basalt and they then sort of say we're gonna wait 25 years to 
Yeah. And you're just going to leave it down under the ground where it's going to be left for the next sort of, well, few millennia. And, uh, yeah, it'll be good. So, so, so that, that, that's the, so going back to the ideas of the, the trees in, in regards to, it is very much the, the process which forms natural oils and things in the ground is it, you've got these decaying carbon and it basically mineralizes out, but we've managed to tweak the temperatures a little bit and manipulate the process. So it will just crystallize or, or uh, mineralize is what they use, use the really. word. Yeah. So it can actually form all these lovely juicy oils, which I know we'll probably dig up later or not. Or not, yeah. So this is Orca, what we're talking about, made by a company called Climeworks. And uh, I think they're a Swiss company. And uh, they've got this state-of-the-art technology for trying to do this carbon capture. Uh, it, it's quite clever, but it's also controversial because people wonder how efficient it is and whether it really does work properly. They're talking about 4,000 tonnes of CO2. And I think the basic idea with this is they're going to have this machine trundling away, storing 4,000 tonnes of CO2, and other companies will pay for it as part of their carbon credit. So they might make sort of a few tonnes of carbon, and what they'll do is, well, if they buy those tonnes back from Iceland it's like they're getting rid of them. Yeah, it, 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 it's one of those interesting policies. You, you sort of look at this and sort of go, well, I can't capture, but I can pay someone who's capturing electricity bill, essentially, to capture the equivalent CO2 there for me. Yeah. So it, so that's the essentially the business model of the plant itself. It's actually sort of, it's not itself trying to suck out CO2, it's basically offsetting other companies' CO2, saying, you know, let's say you emitted 10, 10 tonnes, this thing, or I know it was only uh, um, 4,000 or whatever, but it, it's equivalent sort of a, we paid your electricity to suck in that air, so therefore we feel uh, better about ourselves as a corporate yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's sort of like going, well, if this approach... To not necessarily offsetting carbon because obviously they're still technically emitting, but they are paying for someone to put it back in the ground. So it, it is sort of, in a sense, economical. But if it's truly economical, as in the the plant, the CO two carbon capture plant is making, uh, not making less than making a money, but making it is doing a benefit, and people companies are happy to pay to offset their costs or they're offset their emissions, and it's a worthy cause, then we can slowly start seeing, well, underneath all the basalt areas, why don't we put more of these plants or on top of them, well, shall I say? Yeah, one of the other reasons, of course, of trying to choose Iceland is that Iceland has all their sort of geothermal energy, and they generate basically a lot of free electricity they they can generate an awful lot more electricity than they can actually use so they can use some of this to sort of be used for carbon capture with no problem yeah. incidentally which country in the world paul has the highest use of electricity is it 
the UK, right. USA, or some silly little place I know, Iceland. Using electricity, you say? Yeah, per head. Now, how many? You know, the amount of electricity used per per head of person. Well, I've got to say, surely it's got to be the USA. And you're wrong. And I was, I thought it had to be the USA because I, I thought. Well, people, you, but it's Iceland. You, you're telling me? Well, I suppose it's it's one of those things where because it's cheap. It's cheap. They've got so much of it. You know, they don't mind putting on four kettles all at once. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's it, the cost of them the price of one. A, a lot of houses in Iceland, you know, sort of how warm are they in winter? And the answer is they're actually very warm. Why? Well, all their heat's coming from the geothermal energy. The, the, the answer is sort of they've got underfloor heating. So, well, yes, but they actually do pump water around and. Uh, a lot of the country is sort of kept quite warm, I suppose, because it is so cold out there. Right, so that was one thing that came up, this idea of carbon capture, trying to sort of do this, because all this week we've seen things like talking about oil and gas production must decline. And we've been looking at the figures for last year and this year, and of course last year we hit something called the global pandemic. And surprisingly, people used less uh, what, oil, petrol, petrol, oil, gas, uh, because basically, well, they weren't travelling much. You know, how many planes did you see last year? It was sort of, we played a game of spot the plane. You know, yeah, sort of. but I read an interesting article about, in relation to that, is a sort of, but did we use less fuel last year? Or, or uh, through the pandemic, or yeah, the, at least the lockdown years of the world. Didn't and the answer is we didn't really. Yeah, surprisingly, we didn't because we actually we, we changed. Is what we did. We changed. We used different. Yeah. So we 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 use a lot more power or uh, fuel to generate more power because of course everybody was stuck at home instead of where people be commuting. You see, they they but using their own fuel if that makes any sense. They're you know, they're buying the petrol elsewhere. So it's, it's a combination yeah. of economic effects. Which is why we saw the petrol prices absolutely drop because they they were so desperate to try and sell petrol. I I was not really joking when I talked to my mechanic and he said, cool, you haven't done many miles in the car, you know, for this year for doing your MOT. I think it was about 50. And I said, yeah, I was off to go and um, fill the car up with petrol. You know, it's annual fill up. And... Uh, that's how bad it was last year. A little bit better this year. We are starting to go out a little bit more. But basically, we're looking at, although we're, we're talking about the, this big drop that didn't wasn't as much as everyone thought it was going to be, we're now seeing an increase. And what we should be seeing is a steady decline in the amount of oil, gas, and coal production yet it is still actually increasing, yet the logic says if we want to try and get to net zero by 2050, we're trying to get this uh, 1.5 degree Celsius rise. Uh, when I looked at that with um, 2050 and the rises, it was going to be about 2 degrees Celsius for that. Yeah. So 
That's that's what they reckon. Looking at all the projections, they, yeah, they could say with with without policies, with the current policies, so what we need to do. And they were predicting, you know, sort of it would be we would miss the one point five total heating, but we would actually just hit two, but we wouldn't go say on to three. You know, two who would be our maximum. So we, yeah, it's it's a shame missing that one point five target, but it's sort of. Well, we have been working on, and yes, we'll hit two degrees of warming, but it won't be catastrophic as hitting three or even four. No, but we are still talking about floods, and uh, you know, we live in England, and we can expect that uh, we're going to get some new beaches soon. As long as we don't have a beach near where I live, I don't mind, uh, bearing in mind that we live sort of towards the centre of England, and uh, if we had a beach in Hemel Hempstead, we uh, well, saved a long drive, I suppose. But oh, yes. it's, it's not quite what we uh, we want. No. Now, the, when we were looking at other things in the news this week, we, we heard a lot about sort of our trade agreement with Australia and uh, various leaked documents to try and sort of embarrass the government and uh, and the Australian government, which I think they succeeded in doing saying that uh, they weren't taking those temperature things in a trade agreement. Yeah, I wouldn't Australia, say, Australia's yeah. um, Prime Minister. Prime Minister, yes. He, he said, well, you couldn't see what uh, a trade and temperature had to do with anything. But uh, Well, it, it, it's hard to un- actually understand. It's one of those things where let, let's take a, a separate trade deal with the, the one we've got with, uh, I think it's... South Africa, but it might be another African country. All right, yeah. So you don't know. Yeah, so okay. I don't truly know. Uh, it could be Zimbabwe or one of when. The yeah, Ken- okay. it could be the Kenyan one because he did come over and they did strike some talk some. Anyway, anyway. Be, the the idea, the principle behind the trade is is we exchange um, goods and services, as in we buy Kenyan stuff, Kenyan buy British stuff. That, that's fair enough. And inside that trade agreement, is both countries will attempt to reduce their emissions because, of course, we're putting more trade in. So obviously, you've got to, if you're doing more trade and that costs all the all the emissions associated with transport, then you've got to reduce that. Fair enough. Yeah, and that's helped us do the our climates and sort of reducing. If we stop, re, help reduce the impact of the trade deal to the emissions, obviously that helps with the climate targets. And that's fair enough. There's no problem. That's easy. And it, it relates to the temperature by which, of course, it's the emission targets. And, you know, it's, it's a whole sort of action clause. And, you know, it's a mighty word of text. But essentially, it means both sides, because they've increased trade, which is increased transport, and, you know, not necessarily emissions via production, but we'll glance over that. It's, it's more both sides will attempt to mitigate the emissions caused by the trade deal. Yep, sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds fair enough. And both sides, and they and the inside it, if one side, because it doesn't have to be both sides, both sides fail, if, if one side fails to reduce their emissions or the, or the offset their emissions of the, then the trade deal shouldn't be allowed to go through because, of course, yeah, we're putting more emissions in. Yeah, it, it's a bad idea. So that's where the trade deal will stop. And that's what Australia didn't want. 
So, yeah, so critically, and, and it's one of those things where Australia isn't going to meet its emissions reduction target. Or more importantly, using the trade deal, you know, where they more trade, they cannot reduce the emissions of that trade deal, by, you know, say like, as you said, by let's say 10% per year of the trade deal. And yeah, let's say that, yeah. And so basically means in within like the first two years of the trade deal, the trade deal is going to be half, um, basically I say stopped. It's one of those things yeah. where it, it's, it's going to be null and void as in the trade deal will just vanish and have to be renegotiated everything. So what they've, Australia has said, or you know, negotiated is saying, we're not going to reach these climate goals, but we're working towards them. You know, instead of the over two years, we might be or four years, you know, we're, we're lacking behind, but we're working towards it, but we're not going to meet the targets currently set. And you go, all right, there are two ways to do this. Either cut it out, which we've done, or you can change the targets. The problem is the targets relates to the Paris agreement, which of course is the agreement made in COP. I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> Just so, call it the Paris Accord. But, we all know. Yeah, what I mean, know. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, it follows the legislation of that. So because Australia's not doing so well at reducing, you know, they're, they're hopefully picking up and getting better. We're not saying they're not doing anything at all, but it, it's the after approximately two to three years of doing this lovely trade deal, which is for a period of 25 years, that's going to be null and void. Yeah. So you've put all this effort in and for two years, it's trading, no problem. It's fine. And then it's stopped because of course, Australia hasn't, I wouldn't say breached it's the trade deal. It's one of those things that's in terms and conditions, you know, they've haven't been able to offset their emissions. So the language was changed or to said it would be instead of being, uh, explicit that they have to follow the climate accords and reduce their CO2, it'd be implicit as in they're working on it slowly and, and slowly than other, slowly than the UK is obviously. But they're working towards it and the trade deal hopefully would allow them to increase it further because we, of course, we could sell them wind turbine. Yeah, all, all those lovely sort of things. So, so why is Australia not so sort of good on their sort of renewable energy? I, I thought in my stupidity that australia would be quite good because it's very sunny you know when you were out in australia you you said that uh, it was nice and warm and sunny there yeah it, it's apparently it's got uh this is uh eight hours average of eight hours worth of daylight sunshine uh whereas the uk's only got 3.8 just thinking which means of course if i've got solar panels out there they're going to get what, nearly double the power output or not even more, yeah. yeah, even more than the current UK ones, which is great. That'd be fabulous. The major problem is of course, uh, photovoltaic cells. These are the solar panels. Essentially they get hot in doing the conversion from sunlight to electricity. Australia is already hot. So you're, you're basically having a, a hot object heat up a and, and could get, get hotter, get hotter. Yeah. and unfortunately the efficiency of doing the conversion from light to electricity at say high temperatures you know we were talking say 40 50 degrees 
reduces dramatically is is down dramatically to the point of the current officially here in the uk with with the current our set of temperatures is around i wouldn't say 35 percent. it's something like that it dramatically drops down all the way down from in australian temperatures down to say two percent or you know that that sort of level which means only in winter where it's cooler would it actually be worth it as opposed to summer um summer where it's too hot to run them and you basically need to put covering over as to protect them which is it's not saying it's more effort but it's just not worth the say the long term they should be just put on and forget so they need different types of solar cells or different technology yeah ex- exactly and um, we're, we're working out we watched a, a, a documentary in uh, around california's new solar I wouldn't say a solar tower because it wasn't a tower. It was basically just solar mirrors heating an oil or a thing. And And then using that heat energy to be stored. But it's great in a place like California. You know, I understand there's sun there. uh, Whereas you come to, um, well, cloudy, rainy, miserable England, you know, we're sort of lucky to see the sun we did see the sun this week we had two days of sort of warm sunshine and then we're back to rain again yeah i know it, it's one of those things but you say you could use say that technology this this to heat the stuff out in australia and i say that's what they're attempting to do there it, it's one of those things it's quite expensive to do but they're they're sort of slowly working on it you know you look at the other critical thing a part of the australian climate or not necessarily climate but their their power grid ready they're the third uh world leader on the amount of coal power stations and that's behind china and poland because that's just how it works and critically you know so, so see, they still burn a lot of coal and they produce a lot of coal you know they produce all the coal for a lot for china for a lot for china so it's you know it's one of those things and going through that they go well coal's not good and they've got the the better coal as opposed to places like um like uh poland who are germany not, and yeah. poland they've got lig- lignite lignite they've got the good good coal they go right we take we're gonna change from coal over to gas you know the natural gas which is effectively what we did not necessary for the reasons they're doing it. it yes that's about 30 years ago wasn't it you mean 40 yeah I'm, see I'm, I'm just getting old i can't remember yeah so anyway so they're converting from the, all their coal power stations into gas um power stations well that's basically just changing the fuel not very much the major problem they've got is where are they getting the gas or the natural gas. We well, see. I know in the UK we, we've got this big gas fields in in the uh, North Sea. Um, do they have any sort of areas like the North Sea to grab hold of um, gas from? It's not really. You know, they're more getting it from coal. Unfortunately, burning coal. Yeah, basically making coal gas, and which isn't very good. But there's a little bit out in the uh is it the indo-asian pacific whatever 
the the bit above Australia. <laughs> Let's just call it that. Yeah, you're good on your geography of Australia. Bearing in mind, you lived there for a while. Yeah, why? You know, who knows what the economic? You lived in the other corner. I know. I yeah, know, yeah. So it's it, it's one of those things where it's above them. But of course, there is not that much natural gas out there. You know, and the critical thing, of course, is actually getting it. You know, you look how many drill or well, I say oil rigs, but you know the gas. Um, or let's just call them oil rigs. Oil rigs out in the North Sea, right? Loads of them. It's no problem. Easy. How many are there in that in the that area? The answer is not many because, of course, it isn't. There aren't that many. There's not so much to find. Yeah, which so. makes it more difficult. So, where are we then? We've we've got this idea of trying to reduce the amount of oil and gas we're supposed to be reducing it by three percent minimum uh a year but no one is everyone's sort of putting it up i know the uk you know we've got this coal mine that uh, they're thinking about and they've got this new oil sort of uh field or is yeah it oil about? field yeah just uh north of scotland and uh, they're still thinking about, you know, what do we do with that? Do we actually bring that online? Yeah, it's a hard thing to actually describe why and what they're trying to do. And the obvious answer is that the reason for those are not for, funny enough, for fuel, although technically the oil field would be for fuel. But, you know, you know it's unfortunately how it is. But we're more talking, so the coal mine is not going to be it says in the thing it's not going to be all the coal it's not going to be used for burning it's going to be used for other things which is you know, Chem chemicals chemicals plastics and, 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 you know, all, all sorts of things which we also want to get rid of yeah but we can't but we're currently buying the coal from places like i say poland but you know it, it, it is buying coal from elsewhere and importing it and we don't know the quality of well we do know the quality of the coal and the answer is not very good whereas we've got much higher quality coal and we sort of if we can make get the coal ourselves we can obviously then make sure that we only take out as much as we need and we can also do a lot of offsetting and sort of uh, you know checking of the regulations and make sure that we're not basically just ripping it out of the ground we're being very conservative in the approach yeah Right, anyway, we've done our 30 minutes chat on Going Green, our weekly podcast looking at matters all green and whatever. We will see you back here next week when we'll look at more that's gone on in the week and other topics about trying to make this world a better place to live in. And so from me, Philip, and from me paul it's goodbye from us until next time bye bye bye